0: so loved us, going to the cross for us, rising for us, ascending for us. What a Savior we have. If you were here with us last Sunday, you got to hear a powerful message on prayer from Marshall. I'm so thankful for Marshall, for his faithfulness as a shepherd here at PBC. What a great challenge we received to Come to God in prayer with an attitude of contentment concerning whatever He chooses to do. We were blessed with the reminder that Scripture contains so many precious promises associated with prayer. Prayer is a great privilege for the believer, for the one made right with God through Jesus Christ. That was so clearly conveyed to us. I trust that your prayer life has been enriched by what you heard and may the Lord bless us to continue to grow as a praying church in light of what we received in that message. As we come back to the Gospel of John, we finished out chapter 13. We're now breaking into chapter 14. We're still in the upper room where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. There's that short term departure when he's going to die in a matter of hours. And then there's that longer term departure that will follow his resurrection. He will ascend back to the right hand of his father. And Jesus had just told his disciples, he's leaving and they can't go with him. And Peter was the first to react to this news. He can't stand the thought that Jesus is going to be somewhere where he can't go. He can't be with him. And Jesus clarifies for him so graciously, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Jesus in that moment conveyed a precious promise to Peter, a blessed assurance to him, though he overlooked it in that moment. Jesus will continue to speak these kinds of words of comfort to his disciples as they grapple with this news that he is departing. He knows that his disciples are troubled in heart in response to what they're hearing, that he's going away. And we see a further glimpse of this selfless love of Christ that we beheld so beautifully in chapter 13. That love of Christ continues to be on display for his disciples. If you think about it, he, he washed his disciples feet so humbly he is now teaching them another way of of him loving them teaching them preparing them and if you think about it he's in 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 the process of, of betrayal betrayal is is happening judas has left and in a matter of hours he's going to face all sorts of suffering and ultimately bear the wrath of god for his people And yet, his focus is on taking time to care for his disciples. That's our Lord abounding in love toward his disciples. That brings us to our passage, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus will speak here to his disciples who are troubled in heart. And he says to them, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing on our time in this text heavenly father we declare that you are holy and you are worthy of praise all praise we thank you for the gift of your holy word and we ask lord that you would give us understanding open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law And not only may we understand, Lord, but may we be affected by it. May our trust in Christ grow as a result of it. May we be made more like Christ with it. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be doers of your word and and not hearers only. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the proper medicine for the troubled heart? That is the question that this passage answers. It's an answer that Jesus has been driving at repeatedly. And he will continue to drive it home with his disciples. Right here, he gives the answer. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is in the present tense, which conveys the sense of an ongoing action. Keep on believing. In, the, in this passage, we find two specific truths to believe about Jesus that will be like medicine to our hearts when we are troubled as we live our lives in this fallen world. First, to keep your heart from being troubled, you must... Believe that Jesus is coming again to take you home. Jesus is coming again to take you home, verses 1 through 3. We begin in verse 1. We see Jesus tell his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Now this word troubled is used literally in John 5 verse 7 to describe that the stirring of the waters at the pool of Bethesda and it can be used figuratively to describe confusing or stirring people up. It can also be used to describe an inner agitation or distress. And in John 13 verse 21, Jesus is described with this term, being troubled in spirit in light of what he was about to say concerning Judas and that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus is troubled there, but it in no way causes him to waver from doing the will of his Father. The disciples, on the other hand, are susceptible to being dominated and overwhelmed by their emotions of devastation and sorrow. And so Jesus comforts their hearts by encouraging them to believe. Now, some say that this translation here, believe in God believe also in me some will say to translate it that way others will say uh, you believe in God believe also in me and you can you can translate that either way the, basically the spelling in the original language whether it's a command or whether it's an observation of fact whether it's you need to believe or it is, you do believe. Uh, it's actually spelled the same way in the original language. And so there's been a lot of work to look at that and to understand what exactly is being said here. Is it, is, is it said, believe in God? Is it being said, you do believe in God? And so I believe based on the, the context here, uh, if you understand the Jews and their grasp of, of the concept of God, they understood, believe in God. But what the disciples are wrestling with here and in, in understanding is believing in Jesus, believe also in me. And the reason they need to believe also in him as they believe in God is because he is God. This is what he has been conveying to them. And so this is the idea. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me the way you believe in God because I am God. Now, these disciples have received hard news and we don't want to in any way underestimate the difficulties of this news, the difficulty for them of hearing this. It's tearing them up inside to think that their Lord is leaving them. And I like how Sinclair Ferguson describes the implication of what Jesus is saying to the disciples as their hearts are overwhelmed with trouble. He says, while there are reasons for their hearts to be troubled, there are greater reasons for not letting them be troubled. We don't have to dismiss the difficulty of what's going on, what they're going through, what they will go through. But all those difficulties are temporary. Temporary because of what Christ will do to secure eternal redemption for them because of the promises that Christ has been communicating and will continue to communicate to them about himself and therefore they should not let their hearts be dominated and overwhelmed by their troubles because there are greater reasons for them to be at peace. The reason being, Jesus, believe in him, because he is God. And next, Jesus will give them a window into the future, a future blessing that is to inform their hearts in their present trouble. Verse two, in my father's house, Are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. He turns their attention to his father's house as they wrestle and their hearts are troubled. He says there are many dwelling places, there are many rooms there. It was common at that time in Israel, for a father to add rooms on to his home uh, for his sons and their families to live in. So there's basically the idea here that there's a room for everyone that the father has given to the son to have a place at the father's house. And Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. They can be absolutely assured of there being a place for them at the Father's house. They can know that this is an unshakable reality because Jesus said it. That's the basis. If Jesus says it, you can count on it. Jesus is saying if it wasn't true, he wouldn't have said it. And who better to know about the Father's house than the one who had come from the Father into the world and was going back to the Father. And Jesus tells them why he has to go. He tells them the why behind this news that is troubling them. I'm going so that you can come. The sense here of of the preparation he's saying he's preparing a place for them It's not that Jesus is going to set up rooms, but rather it is that he is preparing the way for them to get there. It's in that sense that he's making preparation for them. Look at me at Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 24, it says for Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he has entered not into the copy, but into what the copy is reflecting to the heavens themselves. He has entered in for us. And then if you turn back uh, just a bit to chapter 6 in Hebrews, verses 19 and 20, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we see that there was a need for Jesus to ascend into heaven as our forerunner, to pave the way for our acceptance into heaven in the same way. And so it is that Jesus had made preparation, was, make, or was going to make preparation, going to make the way, pave the way through his ascension, for them to be able to ascend. And Jesus says that they can count on this. They needed to be reminded of this repeatedly because they are still tempted to, to question and to doubt the things that he says. He's telling them, don't be troubled. This is not your eternal home. Your troubles here will not last forever. I'm going to make preparation for you so that where I'm going, you will come later. As he had told Peter, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Verse 3, he then says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You could also translate this as since. It's a a continuing in the, the logic, the flow of the logic. Since I go to prepare a place for you, a way to come to my father's house, then of course I will come back for you in order to bring you there. This is not a forever farewell. They needed to know this. Now, Jesus is packaging in what he's saying here, truth about the future in, in very simple language at this point. It's important to note that in John 16, verse 12, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so Jesus had much more to say to them about the future, about what was to come, but the disciples can only handle so much at the moment. It's continuing to stretch them and to deepen their understanding of these things. They will understand more after Jesus dies and rises and ascends, and and they will understand even more when Jesus departs and the Spirit is sent who reveals to them even more details concerning these things of the future. And so Jesus is speaking at this point in simpler terms to them, and there's a lot packed into what he's saying The epistles of the New Testament and the book of Revelation expound upon what Jesus teaches here in more detail. So if we think about this this sense of Jesus coming and and taking us uh, to himself, if you think about Stephen, he was stoned to death in Acts 7. He, He looked up and he saw the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father and he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Paul talks about Being absent from the body, that is to be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. And so we do go immediately to be with the Lord when we die. And that is a great comfort to us to know where do we go if we are trusting in Christ when we die. We go to be with the Lord. He will receive us to himself when we die. And this promise of Christ coming back, for his disciples will, will reach its climax of fulfillment when he comes to rapture his church from the earth. There are some parallels that are shared between what Jesus says here in John 14 and what Paul teaches in First Thessalonians 4. I want us to turn there, verses 13 through 18. As I said, we get more details unpacked in the epistles and in Revelation First Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, which is a euphemism for, for having died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The same kinds of words that Jesus is comforting his disciples with in John 14. These same kinds of words are there, 1 Thessalonians 4, in more detail. And Jesus will come again and receive his church. Those who have fallen asleep will rise first, will resurrect. And those who are alive at that time will be caught up together with them in the air, so they shall always be with the Lord. As Jesus said, where I am going, there." you may also be. And so Jesus is comforting his disciples in their present troubles by pointing them to future blessing. He's preparing the way for them to go to his father's house where there's room for all the redeemed. He's coming again to receive them to himself so that they may be with him. And Peter would later write about this at the beginning of his first letter, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you Perhaps you're facing some troubles right now Perhaps you're feeling the aches and pains of an aging body or perhaps you have trouble in your workplace or perhaps you have strained relationships in your life or any other number of difficulties that you're going through In your life that are troubling your heart, you need to know, Saints, that these troubles will not last forever. You who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is coming for you. He will receive you to Himself, and you will be forever with Him. There is an imperishable inheritance reserved for you in heaven. So keep on believing. In your loving King. This one who went to the cross in your place. Who rose so that you could rise. Who ascended so you could ascend. Who is coming again for you. Now what should give you the greatest sense of delight when you think about the Father's house about the imperishable inheritance laid up for you in heaven. It's what's highlighted in John 14 by the eyes the and the you's. There are lots of those there as Jesus speaks to his disciples, and particularly in verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. It is about being with Jesus. It's more about the relationship than the venue. If you're looking forward to something other than being with Jesus as your greatest desire for heaven, you need to be born again because you don't understand the gospel. Jesus becomes most precious to you when you understand who he is and you understand what he has done to save his people from their sins, to save you from your sins. It is about being with Jesus. That's the longing of the one who has been born of the Spirit. Having a yearning to be forever with the Lord in unhindered fellowship with him. And so the first truth that you need to believe that will be a medicine to your troubled soul is that Jesus is coming again to take you home. You can count on it because he said it. It is crucial for you to live in the present with your mind on the future that Jesus has prepared for you to be forever with him in his Father's house. And that brings us to a second particular truth about Jesus that you need to believe to ease your troubled heart. You need to believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. Verses four through six. Believe Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus ends his statement with the line we see in verse four, and you know the way Where I am going. Well, that last line gets a reaction from another one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas. Verse 5 Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas is sort of piggybacking on, on Peter's previous question Where are you going? If we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to get there? And you can see where his reasoning is, is going here in, in, his, in his head. You can you see the, the kinds of thoughts that he's having. If you don't know the specific location of a place on the map, then, then how could you know the, the route to get there? <laughs> Here's the problem, though. Jesus has just said they know the way. So rather than just taking Jesus at his word even though they don't understand exactly exactly what's going on and just trusting what he said. Thomas questions the logic of what Jesus has just said. Peter has asked where and Thomas is still pushing for that where the disciples are all probably wanting to know the answer to this question where they know now a bit more detail it's the father's house but but where exactly is that i need to know where it is on the map now this is not the first time that thomas has spoken in john if we turn to john 11 we learn a bit more about thomas we see his pessimism on display in verse 16 I'll begin in verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to, de- to end in death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought, that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe and let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. It's a pessimism. It's you want to go back there where people want to kill you? <laughs> all right, let's all go die. That's what's going to happen. I just know it. This is his his pessimism that you, you sense with him. The, the, the worst case scenario is where his mindset goes. And we'll also see in John 20 that he's also a I'll believe it when I see it kind of thinker as well. What Jesus says to him, doesn't add up in his mind, so he's questioning it. How can you know the way if you don't know where? That's, that's how he's thinking. We see in Thomas a slowness to trust and understand, but mixed in with sincere devotion. Just like Peter, he wants to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wants to know where he's going because he wants to be with him. And just as Jesus was gracious with Peter to answer his question, so he is gracious with Thomas as well to answer his question. What Jesus had already implied by his call to them to believe in him, and also his comments about going to prepare a place for them and that he's going to come back for them, he's already implied this, but he now more explicitly explains in his answer to Thomas Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The reason I said you know the way where I'm going is because you know me, and I am the way. If Jesus is preparing for them to come and is coming back for them and will receive them to himself, And then they will be with him where he is. They don't need to know exactly where it is. They just need to know him. Because Jesus is the way to where Jesus is going. Indeed, he is the only way to where he is going. It says, no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the way. He is the only way. This is the the sixth of seven formal I am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And then here, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. Now, as far as this way is concerned, it's interesting that there are six places in the book of Acts where early Christianity is referred to as the way. And most likely that is derived from what Jesus had said right here in this passage. That's what they became known by the way. It's a profound declaration by Jesus in this upper room. It's an incredible moment. You must believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. Believing in Jesus requires believing he's the way to heaven. And believing that he's the only way to heaven. That he is the only way to be reconciled to God to be in fellowship with God. There's a definite article that comes before each of these terms. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. This word way is a picture of a path or a road. Jesus is the way to God. He is the road or the path. To God, the only access to God. And Jesus is the way to God because he is the truth and the life of God. Let's look at John chapter 8 to see some things that Jesus had said previously to the Jews regarding the truth. Verses 31 and 32 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is Christ's words where truth is found. As one abides in his word, they know the truth, and the truth makes them free free and then if we look down to verse 44 speaking again to these these jews it says you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. We see the contrast here between Jesus' words, that they are the truth. Here is the devil spreading lies from the beginning. The devil had lied about God. It contradicted God's word. If you want to be set free, from the captivity of deception under the devil who has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving in this world. You need Jesus. He is the truth. He speaks truth. If he says it, you can count on it. Even if you don't fully comprehend how it all fits together, what he says is true. You can count on it. Truth proceeds from him. And he is the essence of truth itself. He is the true revelation of God in the flesh. He reveals God to us truly and exactly. He is also the life. He is the source of life. He is the essence of life itself. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. The Bible says that Apart from Jesus, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It says that you're cut off from the life of God. Jesus is the only source of life. Now the disciples are going to be tempted to doubt each of these that Jesus has mentioned about himself. A crucified man was put up as an example in society to say, don't follow that man. He's not the way. A crucified man also is one people would look at and say, you can't rely upon anything someone like that has said. And a crucified man is one who lost his life. He's dead. How can he be the life? They will be tempted to think the opposites of these things that Jesus has declared about himself when all these events unfold and so these disciples need to be urged and built up and steeled up to believe in him in the face of all of that because he will die but that grave can't hold him three days later he will rise he is who he says he is How about that for medicine, for the troubled heart? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If you have Jesus, you have the way, you have the truth, you have the life in him. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus Only one. Acts 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. No one comes to the Father but through him. No religious system will save you, no philosophy will save you. This this whole you have your truth and I have my truth philosophy. Just shoot straight. It's nonsense. Jesus is sovereign over all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power, according to Hebrews 1 verse 3. Everything that exists depends on him. There is no your truth and my truth. There is only his truth. No philosophy will save you. No politician or government will, will save you. No amount of good deeds will save you. No amount of punishing and afflicting yourself to try to atone for your sin will save you. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. It is Jesus. And it's not Jesus plus one of those things or any other number of things that saves you. If you believe that it takes Jesus plus something else to save you, you have a deficient Jesus, and therefore you have the wrong Jesus. The true Jesus is a completely sufficient Savior, and he is the only one who is a completely sufficient Savior. The true Jesus is the only one sufficient to bridge the infinite chasm between the rebellious sinner and the holy God that that sinner has offended in his sin. God is so infinitely holy that your sin and my sin against him deserves everlasting punishment under his righteous wrath. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, equal in divine nature, with his father, took on a human nature like yours and like mine so that he is truly God and truly man. And he lived a perfect life, never sinning in any way at any moment so that those who trust in him could be credited as though they lived that life. And then he was obedient all the way to the point of death and he bore the wrath of God against the sins of his people when he died on that cross. He effectively put death to death for those who trust in him. And then he rose from the dead, demonstrated that he had conquered sin and death for those who trust in him, demonstrating that he is the way and the truth and the life, just like he said he is. And so I ask you, do you know him? Do you have his resurrection life in your soul? Is your interest in heaven an interest with being in being with Jesus more than anything else? If you've come to realize today that your hope has been placed somewhere other than Jesus, if he is not become the supreme treasure in your heart. You need him. You need his salvation. You need his rescue. You need to respond to his exhortation to you to believe in him. Believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the all-sufficient way, the only way, Turn your back on living for yourself and living your own way and trust wholly upon him and follow him. For those who are trusting in Christ, I want to encourage you, keep believing in him. The medicine that you need for a troubled heart is to believe in Jesus. To believe in the Jesus who will come to take you home to be with him forever. Your troubles have an expiration date. Eternal life does not. You must live your present life in light of the knowledge of your blessed future. The Puritan Thomas Manton said, A man's greatest care should be for that place where he lives the longest. Therefore, eternity should be his scope. Believe in the Jesus, who is your all-sufficient way to the Father. Believe in Jesus, who is the reliable truth, who sets you free from deception and bondage. Believe in this resurrected Savior who has given life to your dead soul. This truth that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, this is so precious to us who believe because we understand how lost we were before he saved us. We were on the path to hell. We were blind, and now we see. We were dead, and now we are alive. And so, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, is most precious to us, a sweet medicine to our soul. We've seen in this passage two specific truths that we are to believe about Jesus that will be like that medicine to our souls when we are troubled as we walk out our lives in this fallen world. We are to believe that Jesus is coming again to take us home. He wouldn't have said it unless it was true we are also to believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. So saints, don't let your hearts be troubled. You must get your eyes off of your circumstances and onto Jesus. His Father's house has many rooms. For were not so, he would not have told you. So live your life now, with your mind on that future day when Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you not look forward to that day? And remember the sufficiency of your Savior as the one and only way and his truth that makes you free and that he has given you Life and life abundantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the charge that you give us to not let our hearts be troubled, but to believe and to keep believing in Christ. We thank you that Christ is coming for us who believe. He will receive us to himself. We thank you that he is an all-sufficient way to heaven, that he secures our pardon, that he is making us fit for heaven. It is all of grace. It is all for your glory. May we endure our present troubles with our eyes fixed on Christ, and the future blessing of an imperishable inheritance laid up for us in heaven. Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior, the only sufficient one. And so all praise and glory be to Christ our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.